It's the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guests, Randa Prendergast and Dan Winslow. We talk about being fast. Yes, being fast. And then, if you couldn't tell, we've replaced our announcer with an AI due to the writer's strike. So that's fun. But first, your host, Jared Correa. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. Now, with 35% more tool, I bet it feels like you never left. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast. Even though my pocket hole jig fell right out of my pocket hole, I guess predictably. I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because Paul Freeze was unavailable. He was doing a ghost tour at the Gracie Manor. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. Schedule a demo to check out our new e-signature tool at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Randa Prendergast of Mrs. June Legal, let's revisit perfection just one more time. I've been called an iconoclast, and that's fair. I'll own it. But really, it's not just the icons that I classed. I question everything, and I trust no one. I'm like Fox Mulder, except for the fact that I look really bad in a red Speedo. Last year, we went down to Disney World for vacation, and I had to get a rental car because Disney stupidly shut down the Magical Express bus, which was one of the best parts of going to Disney World, but I digress. So I had this question about a particular rental car policy, and I was just grilling this desk agent because he wasn't giving me a straight answer, and I needed a coherent answer, you know, before I left. So my wife turned to me, and she was like, is there anything I can do to make you shut up? And I said, no, I'm just inquisitive. Or I'm an obnoxious prick. I suppose both things could be true. So I went to high school in the early 90s, and everybody, everybody was into Nirvana and the Seattle sound. And I was like, fuck that. I'm going to zag. Therefore, I listen to 70s music, like all the time, on actual record albums. And then Kurt Cobain died when I was a sophomore. And people in my high school were freaking the fuck out. But I didn't get the grunge thing. I wasn't disaffected. I was just playing my 78s, man. So I was like, bros, chill. It's not like Billy Joel died. He's just not producing any more new albums. We'll always have Greatest Hits Volume 1 and Volume 2. Now, before you start sending hate mail, I did eventually get into 90s music, and I like Nirvana. But like I said, I was ensconced in the 70s, in the 90s. And I still think the 70s is the best decade of music ever. It's not particularly close, either. So what affected me more than Kurt Cobain's passing, like I'm a 65-year-old man or some shit, was when I heard that Gordon Lightfoot died last week. I know it sounds weird to say this about a folk singer, but I fucking love Gordon Lightfoot. He was a goddamn monster in the 1970s. Everything he touched turned to gold. 
Gord's Gold, that is, which is the name of his greatest hits album, incidentally. Now, even if you don't know the names of his songs, I guarantee you, you know a hell of a lot of Gordon Lightfoot songs. They're catchy as all get out, and he could bait a hook like a fisherman. He wrote staggering ballads like the Canadian Railroad Trilogy and the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, both tracking in and around seven minutes. He wrote songs about wistful people listening to music and sad people watching the rain. And in case you were wondering, Gordon Lightfoot is actually his real name. The Lightfoot part's interesting, of course, but I believe, I think this is true, that every other male born in Canada is legally required to be named Gord. So that's not so special. Incidentally, his middle name was Meredith, which probably would have gotten him some ass whoopings on the playgrounds of Ontario if Canadians weren't so nice. But in addition to having a substantial catalog of hits, Gordon Lightfoot also did something very few musical artists have ever done. He wrote a perfect album. It's 1974's Sundown, which is just an outstanding achievement, honestly, to the point that it even stands out among the murderer's row of albums he composed in that decade. He doesn't miss a beat on Sundown. In fact, this album was his only U.S. number one. Let's start with the title track, which is maybe the most quietly menacing pop song ever written. Not only does it have a killer bass line, but the lyrics are perfect. Not a single misplaced, ill-used, or unnecessary word. Substantively, he's just a dude getting out with a lady who might mean trouble. And when things, predictably, go sideways, he's a little surly. Surly enough to kick the son's ass when it comes creeping around his back door? I should say so. I could listen to the song on loop probably for forever. Now, Circle of Steel, which features both bells and chimes, apparently played by Lightfoot himself, ostensibly sounds like a Christmas song. It's just the most fucking depressing Christmas song ever because it's about a down-and-out alcoholic woman whose husband is in prison and whose child is about to be taken away by the government. More like Gordon Darkfoot, am I right? High and Dry is a sailor's lament. As an aging captain loses his ship, the ship being personified as a woman, of course. The song always makes me think of the journey of Odysseus as if I didn't know the ending. As Lightfoot writes, I hope you find your way back home before you're lying high and dry. I hope you find your way back home before you die. And make an impossible archery shot, I guess. Gordon Lightfoot wrote a lot of signs about driving and sailing. Oh, and Railroads. The Watchman's Gone, if it were not for Sundown, would be the highlight of the album. This is probably the best of the more or less unknown Gordon Lightfoot songs. It's about death, because of course it is. The metaphor is the final escape from the railway watchman or the bull. I always listen to it, however, as a metaphor for leaving a job to go work for yourself. You know, The Watchman's Gone. And I played the song an awful lot, let me tell you, when I started my own consulting firm. So you might be saying to yourself right now, yeah, this album is perfect, all right, perfectly depressing. But hey, the list is a cheery little song about Gordo on the prowl in Nighttown, looking for somebody to get down with. Just an easy breezy one night stand for Canada's bard. Seven Island Suite is about seven small islands. Well, that works. In a lake that Lightfoot encountered on a fishing trip with his producer. 
And of course, it carries a message with it about preserving natural spaces. Carefree Highway is a song you definitely know. That was the second single from Sundown and also made Gord's Gold, the aforementioned and very first greatest hits album, before Gord's Gold Volume 2 appeared. This is one of those classic road songs, a highway song, literally, where the protagonist is escaping a bad breakup. There really wasn't Anne that Gordon Lightfoot had romanced in his earlier days. And there's also really a highway in Arizona known as the Carefree Highway. If you're interested, it's Arizona State Route 74. The album actually kicks off with a song called Somewhere USA, which seems like something a Canadian would say about a U.S. road trip. And that's what it's about. It's going to all these different hotels looking for the ladies. Gordon was always on the lookout for the ladies, apparently. I mean, right? How do you tell all these small towns in the U.S. apart? There's not a Tim Hortons in sight. Is There Anyone Home is a haunting little ballad that centers the album and Too Late for Praying caps off the album. And it kind of sounds uncannily like a Jim Croce love song. Oh, Jim Croce? Yeah, he was another great performer from the 70s. You know, in case you were too busy listening to Soundgarden. Gordon Lightfoot was 84 when he died, which was the same age my grandmother was when she died. I feel like that's a good long life. I mean... If I live until 84, I feel like I'd be pretty damn happy about that. Well, actually, I'd be dead, so I probably wouldn't care. Of course, I would have liked to have seen Gordon Lightfoot stick around for a little while longer. And I guess the fucking son can just act with impunity and shit. As the wind in the wires makes a tattletale sound, let's discover together what our sponsors can do for your busy law practice. Before we wrap with Randa Prendergast of Mrs. June Legal, Then after that, stay tuned for a conversation about beans. Yes, those beans. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm with six different ways to track time. Surely one will fit even on the go, or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is definitely a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, and more, they all just plug in. Try TimeSolve for free and get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up at TimeSolve.com. Okay, everybody, let's get to the meat in the middle of this legal podcasting sandwich. Today's meat is, I don't know, tofu? Hold on. Being told that tofu is not actually a meat. Fuck you then, tofu, if that even is your real name. All right, let's just interview our guest before this goes further off the rails. We've had a lot of first-time guests lately, and today, for your listening pleasure, making her debut appearance on the Legal Toolkit podcast is Randa 
Prendergast. She is the owner of Mrs. June Legal. So, Randa, yes. this is a little bit of a weird coincidence. A couple episodes back, we had a dude on the show named Bruce LaFetra who calls himself the client whisperer. Now we have you. You're called yeah. the attorney whisperer. That's like on your LinkedIn and everything. So that's real. Uh, yes. What does that mean? Do you actually whisper to people or do you um, want to whisper now during this segment? I mean, I could if you really wanted to. <laughs> no. Um, what that means is we help law firm owners set up their law firms and their processes. And it's all encompassing. So it means like we help with processes. We help with placing legal support. So anything a law firm owner needs for their business, either we can help with it or we know the perfect contact or person to introduce them to to help them with it. No actual whispering involved. No. Doesn't sound like. No, okay. No. So let me, you got this thing called Mrs. June Legal. Yes. So I'm guessing there's like a story behind that. Is it's, there a little old lady out there who's an actual Mrs. June, like a real life Mrs. Butterworth or something like that? Um, she's not technically real life, but June is based off of June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I am just obsessed with the 50s and 60s housewives vibe. How they dress, really? how, they, oh. how they dress, how they looked, how they presented themselves. Uh, they're very strong women who were in control of their home and ran everything smoothly. And that's kind of what we do at Mrs. June Legal is we help run everything smoothly for your law firm. And June Cleaver, if you think about her, she's very graceful, kind, and passionate, but she's very firm. And that's how we are with our law firm owners and how we do things. <laughs> I like that. This is our first Leave it to Beaver reference in quite a while. Um, <laughs> should we talk about legal stuff? I feel like we should. Yeah, absolutely. I, I promise we talk about workflows. So let's talk about yes. workflows. Let's All talk right, so, about workflows. Like, I don't know. In, in my experience, like law firms have been more aggressive in terms of their interest in workflows over the last like three or four years, ever mm -hmm. since the pandemic hit. So have you had the same experience Yes. Why do you think that is? Um, if they weren't virtual before, then they had to be virtual and they had to figure out a way to delegate to their staff and know that their staff is working and knew what to do for the day. So I think that sparked that interest is that delegation. How do I delegate if I'm not yelling across the office? Um, it's more than delegation, though. Workflow is more than delegation. It helps identify where you are in a case. It helps tell you a story of what has been done and what needs to be done. And this is, that's really important when you're talking about tracking your team members work or providing feedback to your clients or God forbid the bar calls and you have to say, Hey, this is what we've done on a case. So process management, extremely important to a modern law firm. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. hundred percent. So you got lawyers coming to you. They're like, Hey, I want to do process management whatever mm -hmm. that means. I want to build workflows. Mm -hmm. Where do you start with them? Do most people have something in mind already? Or is it just like starting from scratch? Sometimes there's people that are kind of in the middle. They have like checklists, but they don't have the details. They don't have the meat of the processes. So um, we identify their biggest like need. So if like they're missing deadlines for certain types of cases or... Yeah. They just don't know where they are on their cases. That's kind of where we start. That will determine where we start. It's all, um, when we break down the processes, it's not like one big giant workflow. Like some people think it's one big giant workflow, but mm -hmm. not the same stuff happens on every single case. So we 
break down each small process, what could happen on a case, and we build a workflow there. That's how we start. And it sounds like you start out with fixing some of the broken stuff. Oh, absolutely. In, in mm-hmm. what context do you get pushed back? I know lawyers are like, the lawyers that are contacting you are probably like, hey, I want to do this. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know how to do it. Once you get into the process, it's just like pushback. And then how do you deal with that? Sure. So sometimes there's pushback on the amount of detail that we want to include into their process because yeah. they will say, well, we know to do that, which might be a true statement, right? The until person they don't. In, until they don't, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or until they're so busy and they have to hire and then they have to, the person that they hire is not going to know. And so not only does the process like keep everyone on the same page, but it also aids in training new people. So you could just say, here's our process, here's our task list, here's our workflow. All of your task or your workflow has detail on how to complete that task within that workflow. And so your new person doesn't have so many questions. So let's talk about the Mrs. Junes of the legal world. Mm-hmm. So you've always got like the 75-year-old secretary. It's yes. like, you know, Esther has been doing it this way for many years. She's mm-hmm. going to quit if we start using processes. How do you manage that? You know, the biggest form of flattery is saying, hey, I need your help. So <laughs> I really try. I will even say to the attorney, hey, let me work with Ethel. She's been doing this for years. She knows your process. It frees up your time. I'll just get all the information from her and have her input, and then we'll run it by you, the final process. So a lot of times, they are eager to help if you involve them. And then I always put it this way. We're not trying to replace you. We're just trying to make it so you can go on vacation. Mm. If we get your processes documented and everyone knows what's going on, Ethel, you can go to Florida for a week and someone else can do your work when you're gone. So if a law firm is like contacted you, they're interested in workflows, they've never really built anything before. Like, do you like them to come in with some idea of what they have in mind? Like, I know you said some people build stuff for you, but like, do you want people to have a Word document with their processes, a spreadsheet, something like that? Or is it better if somebody just comes to you and you're just starting from scratch and you can work with them? Sure. I do like a checklist. That's really nice to have some type of checklist. Even if it's like a bullet point, like this is what we do when we sign a new family law client that's filing for divorce, you know, and that's our starting point for them. So we can use that. Although I've built so many workflows for all different areas and types of law. Yeah. Yeah. Like I already know like where I have an idea, a general generic idea of where we're going to start and what we're going to do. So let's talk a little bit about like the tools that people are using for Mm -hmm. workflow management. Like, do you usually work with tools that people have? Are they looking for you to make suggestions about what kind of software they should be using? Do you have preferences about what kind of tools you want to use? So feel free to speak freely and explore the studio space, if you will. Yeah, so it's a combination. Most times they have a case management system that they're just not using to its fullest. The best case management or legal tech is the one that you're going to use. So (laughs) if we explore that their biggest pain point is workflows, but a certain case management doesn't do that very well, then we might explore taking them to a different uh, case management system. But data migration, all that, it's kind of a pain. But it is something, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it is something that 
you know, if it's going to benefit them tenfold in the long run, we'll absolutely make that suggestion. There's going to be other tech that we're going to suggest or recognize that they're going to need while we're looking at processes. So Mm -hmm. most of those are like maybe use of Zapier for automation or Calendly for scheduling. I'm a huge advocate of Calendly. Like I think everyone needs a scheduler of some sort. Calendly, it just seems to be work for us a lot too. And Mm -hmm. a lot of our law firms love it. And then we talk about, you know, there's even other things we talk about, like we'll talk about answering services for intake. Mm -hmm. And it just depends on what their need is there. We will talk about CRMs and intake in general. A lot of times we defer to a company that does intake and marketing because I think that's the best value. Okay. But we will help with like some of the implementation in their CRM for like processes and stuff. Do you have people using standalone task management or project management tools outside of a case management software, like a Notion or a Basecamp or something like that? I do have a couple people using Monday. Oh, yeah. Um, Monday's yeah. pretty popular. Yeah. So they use that, and then they use a different billing software for billing and everything. Mm-hmm. I think I am open to that. I, I love that idea because some of those project management tools can just do it better. And then also yes. visually too, it, de- it depend. I have one client who is a visual person. Like she needs all the graphs and the Kanban boards and the Nat chart, like she needs everything. So Clio doesn't work for her that way because all mm-hmm. it is is like a list of tasks or a case status and a custom field, right? So there are some other better options for her because that's how she likes to receive her information too. Yeah, I'm also seeing a lot of law firms at least considering those tools. Rand, I have one more question for you. I think yeah. I saw online that you guys are located in Columbus, Ohio. Yes. Home of the Ohio the State Ohio University. State. Absolutely, All right. yes. And if we're, we're, by the time we release this, this information will be out, but the NFL draft is taking place tonight. Mm-hmm. Are you an Ohio State fan? Where do you think C.J. Stroud is going? Oh, Lordy. I... No pressure, but we'll know the answer by the time this is released. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I actually, um, I'll be honest. I haven't been following where I think he should land that closely. You don't care because um, now he's in the NFL. You I only care about Ohio I, State. No, well, I do care about the NFL because I play fantasy football. But, oh, all right. Uh, yeah. Now we're talking. Okay. Yeah, but <laughs> I will be interested to see where he lands. But until he lands and who he's with, I don't. I don't really pay attention. <laughs> I'm going to so. put myself out on a limb here, and I'm going to say number 19 to the Bucks. Okay. That's what I'm going to say. Ooh, okay. All right, um, before we finish, I lied. I have one more question. Okay. What's your top <laughs> fantasy football choice if the draft happened right now and you had the number one pick? If I, I – this is so embarrassing. I do have the number one pick this year. You do? Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, I've I been there. I've had number one picks before. I know how it goes. Yeah, I didn't finish N- Not last. every year is going to be great. We, we, right. do, we do a loser's bracket, so mm-hmm. I didn't finish last. It's like the last four or six teams yeah. play the, for the first pick, so at least I won that. I get it. I, I don't like to – well, first off, I'm, I'm more of um, a tight end first pick. Really? Yes. Wow. That's so, bold. So you're going like Travis Kelsey or something? Oh, like yeah. That? Absolutely. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, and we, I and like our, it. Our flex positions, we have – you can play to tight end. A lot of times I play two. Oh, oh wow. That's I bold. I love the I strategy. 
Yeah. A lot of good tight ends in the draft this year, too. I know. So that's probably what will happen. I don't feel bad. My fantasy baseball team is struggling heavily this year. Randa, <laughs> thanks for coming on. We covered a lot of topics, more than yeah, I thought. We did, including fantasy football. So that's awesome. Yes. Yes, I appreciate it. So everybody, we'll take one final sponsor break here so you can hear more about what our sponsor companies can do for you and your law firm. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, here we are at the rear end of the Legal Toolkit. Once again, it's the Rump Roast. It's a grab bag of short-form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Today, I got something real interesting for you. From. Now, many of you may know I am from the Boston area, and I want to introduce to you my friend Dan, who's organizing a very special event in Boston. So, Dan, would you introduce yourself, give a little bit of background, and then we'll get into the Bean Fest. Yeah, sure, Jared. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Dan Winslow. I'm the um, with the New England Legal Foundation. I've had a variety of different roles in my life, ranging from being a judge to a chief legal officer of a tech company to a legislator to the chief counsel to the governor of Massachusetts. And I've now reached the zenith of my career. And, and that is to help launch the first annual Beantown Beanfest in uh, downtown Boston on the Greenway, Saturday, June 24, the last Saturday of June. It's going to be a total blast. And I'm happy to talk about it. And thanks for having me on. Dan is the real deal. This is interesting to me because when we talked, like I think most people know, even if they're not from the Boston area, that Boston's referred to as Beantown. And I'm actually surprised that there was no bean fest, bean carnival, like whatever. It, nothing existed. This is kind yeah, of crazy the, the to only me. Thing, the only thing that exists, there's the there's a hockey tournament called the Bean Pot Hockey Tournament. Right. And then the Hasty Pudding folks at Harvard have the Bean Pot Award that they give out to a celebrity every year. And, and that's it. That's, that's it. I wasn't even aware that the Hasty Pudding people gave out something called the Bean Pot Award. I had no idea. I've never heard of that before. And I've lived yeah, near yeah. Boston my entire life. <laughs> But you're right. I mean, beans have been part of our, our city's history since, you know, really predating the revolution. In fact, beans in England are baked with brown sugar. That's how they were originally prepared here. 
and the Brits decided that they were going to start imposing a tax on sugar in the colonies. Uh, they're and the so, worst. You know, Boston is yeah. <laughs> Boston is the sort of is the center of the revolution. They said, yeah. Well, we're going to use molasses. Screw you, Brits. And so th that's, that <laughs> was the origin of uh, molasses and beans. Oh, I did not know that. Interesting. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. So like everybody I've talked to, they know Boston's called Beantown. They don't necessarily know why. That sounds like one of the reasons, though. Did, is there other historical components here? In play, yeah, we were we were so that the, the molasses came up from the Caribbean and uh, beans were here at least initially in the in the colonies and um, and so when they started applying molasses to beans, that kind of a concoction really was popular with the sailors who came here from all over the world, and so they you know spread the message that Boston was Bean Town, and, and that really was the start of it. And um, you know what we're trying to do, by the way, is raise money for an initiative, a social economic justice initiative. Uh, that we're working on called the Equalizer Institute to mm. create free corporate legal aid for underrepresented entrepreneurs. And, oh, that's cool. you know, obviously we have our tin cup out, but one of the things we were looking to do is like, well, we need to raise some money. What can we do? And we realized, you know, beans transcend every race, every culture, every neighborhood in the city. Everybody has their favorite way they do beans. And mm -hmm. what a great, what a sort of a great symbolic way to unite a city to say, hey, let's all come together. Beans are the great equalizer of food, just like we're trying to equalize the playing field for startup entrepreneurs. I love beans and startup entrepreneurs. I love both. Sometimes <laughs> I just eat beans while talking to startup entrepreneurs. No, there but in go. all seriousness, like I'm a, I'm a bean guy. I really enjoy beans. And I didn't know that thing about like brown sugar and molasses. That's really interesting. So you had this idea and then how long did it take you from the genesis of, okay, we're going to do a bean festival of some kind to planning it out so that you're ready to launch your first one. Was that a long process or did it come together relatively quickly? Well, for this first year, it's, it's relatively quickly because okay. all of the professional event planners we talked to say, you got to start doing this 18 months, 12 months in advance. And you were like, now nah, so, we'll do three. Yeah, we'll just do it now. <laughs> and, and so what, no, what we're planning to do is we're, we're going to start, you know, by design, we'll start with a smaller event for year one. Uh, but we're already starting to plan for the 2024 Bean Fest. And, and by the way, if your uh, listeners are interested, it, they can look for more information online. It's uh, beantownbeanfest.org, beantownbeanfest.org. And it's all of the events and the sponsors and the entertainment. We've got a, a great swing band called the Beantown. 18-piece swing band orchestra is going to kick wow. off the event. Yeah, we have uh, swing no dancers that are going to come by, a flash mob of swing dancers. And we'll have different <laughs> uh, genres of music. We're lining up a jazz combo now. And... We've got beanbag toss and beanbag chairs and jelly beans were invented in Massachusetts. It's amazing. It's is amazing that true? It is absolutely true. We used to have, you know, we have an American League uh, baseball team, the Boston Red Sox, everybody knows about. Yes. But people don't oh, I know this realize one. Go we ahead. had the National yeah. uh, National Baseball League. We had the Boston Bean Eaters. It was, uh, yep. was, it actually Which are now the Braves. Oh, the Braves became the Braves all, uh, yep. in time. Uh, but yeah, we've had that. And in fact... We're not technically the first bean fest in Boston. The very first bean fest ah. in Boston was about 100 years ago. And they had a huge bean supper on Boston Common. And they used the money from that event to create the Boston Freedom Trail. They funded the Boston really? Freedom Trail oh, from the first ever Beantown Bean Fest. So there's some precedent huh. for doing good things by leveraging beans in Boston. Who knew? All right. So the big question I have for you is like, great, do you have musical guests? Sounds like they're going to be awesome. What can I expect in terms of a bean tasting experience at the Bean Fest? Because that's what I, that's what I want to know. Oh yeah. So here's what's wild about it. So we we've reached into the neighborhoods of Boston. As I said, every every culture, every ethnicity has their take on beans. 
And so we're reaching into, with the help of the Mass Restaurant Association, the Downtown Boston Business Improvement District, uh, and Meet Boston and other partners, we're reaching into the various neighborhoods to invite uh, vendors to come to the Greenway. It's, just, it's basically this beautiful park right by the waterfront in downtown Boston. Yep. And they'll be able to give out free samples as well as sell their wares. They'll be able to sell some, you know, the idea was that this, the restaurants themselves are often small businesses. They've all taken it on the chin for the last three years because of COVID. So right. what better way to showcase these local restaurants with their bean dishes than to put them right in the middle of the Greenway and say, hey, you know, show f- folks what you've got which is going to be a lot of fun. So you, you'll be able to taste, we, we're going to have jelly beans there. We're going to have all sorts of coffee and <laughs> chocolate. You know, it's going to be a blast. It's, if you can think about a bean thing, we'll probably have it. <laughs> I like the bean bag chairs. That tells me you're going all out when you go. Oh, we are. We are. In, in fact, we just, uh, I, I don't know if it's working yet, but if, if you go to the uh, beantownbeanfest.org, we actually have a merch shop uh, link there too, a store where you can actually buy your first annual collector's item bean town bean fest logo t-shirt oh i gotta go grab that yeah. i'm gonna wear that around town <laughs> i never thought i could have like a 10 minute conversation on beans but like here we are let me ask you this you're still looking for sponsors for the event and you're looking we for people are to come. we, we um, so. we're lining up vendors so the basic we're not charging the, the vendors anything we we would like to have the sponsors pick up the cost it's a high visibility event. Uh, mayor Michelle Wu, the city of Boston's mayor, has come out with great support. She's endorsed it. The uh, the downtown association has endorsed it. Meet Boston, yep. the city's um, tourism group, has endorsed it. We've got some great partners already lined up, ranging from Channel 5, you know, WCVB-TV, to the yep. Boston Harbor Hotel, to Filter Clean, a water manufacturer, water filter manufacturer, and 1A Auto Parts, who's one of the biggest online oh, yeah. auto parts Fair retailers. Enough. And so we've got some great corporate sponsors lining up. What we found is, given our short runway for this year, the national brands usually take about a, you know, they're going to make their decisions for 24 based at the end of yeah. this summer. So yeah. we'll get those guys for year two. So we're really focusing on, on regional and local uh, corporate support for this first year mm-hmm. just to get started. That makes sense. All right. If everybody wants to go to the Bean Fest, and why wouldn't you? We'll have information in the show notes. Dan, thanks for coming on. I appreciate Jared, it. Thanks for having me on. If you want to find out more about Randa Prendergast and Mrs. June Legal, visit mrsjunelegal.com. That's M-R-S-J-U-N-E-L-E-G-A-L.com, mrsjunelegal.com. And if you want more information about the upcoming Boston Bean Fest, visit beantownbeanfest.org. That's B-E-A-N-T-O-W-N-B-E-A-N-F-E-S-T.org. Bean, town, bean, fest, all one word, dot org. Now, for those of you listening in Punky Doodles Corners, Ontario, Canada, that's right, I've lined up my official Gordon Lightfoot tribute only on Spotify. Now, I've run out of time to give my ratings of the Italian beers that taste most like cigarette ash. I don't know, maybe next time. This is Jared Career reminding you, that's what you get for loving me. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, 
Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.